things in music feel better than when you put on a record, whether you're listening to it for the first time, the 50th time, the 500th time, the 5,000th time. But that first song has such an energy, such a drive, or such a powerful emotion that it conveys within you. There's something in your brain that snaps. Favorite opening tracks of all time. That is the first episode, and a fitting one for the Records and Riffs podcast. Technically, this is the second episode, but this is really the first one that counts, the one with the real subject and someone that I'm talking with about it. And that is Stephen Hyden, by the way. He's a staff writer at Glorantland. He is among my favorite music writers. I cannot recommend his work highly enough. Love so much of what he does. And in the summer of 2015, he actually wrote a piece on his favorite side one track ones, but with a caveat with it, he kind of pigeonholed himself, and we get into what exactly that was. But this was a really fun conversation. Had a blast with it. I forgot some tracks that I knew I would. That's kind of inevitable when you're going off the top of your head and trying to list off some of your favorite songs to start off a record of all time. By the way, you're going to have some, if you're listening to this, you know, one, two, or three songs that you really think are good, tweet them at me. I'd love to hear them. And there might be stuff I might not be familiar with. So at Matt Norlander. And by the way, you can follow the podcast on Twitter at Records and Riffs. And that's where you're going to get the quickest, most immediate updates on the podcast and random music links and minutiae. It'll be cool. It'll be a fun little feed. Feel free to follow it. And if you haven't, please subscribe on iTunes and rate it at Records and Riffs. Appreciate that so much. Enjoy the season. It was a lot of fun. Here's the first unofficial episode, I guess, with Stephen Hyden. Enjoy the conversation. Well, first impressions are always something that uh, I very much enjoy in so many facets of life, but specifically with music. And when thinking up this podcast, this topic was definitely among the first four or five as I jotted down uh, on my notepad just different topics that I wanted to hit on outside of, you know, hitting on certain bands or talking to certain musicians. Just general, fun, barroom-type discussions. And the guest on today's podcast is certainly... uh, a writer that I respect tremendously. His work, I, honestly, there are a few music writers who, when they post something, I, I'm so instinctively wanting to to read it just for, it's usually a, a take or a subject that I'm automatically interested in, and I very much prefer um, the way that he writes in his work and his perspective on all things. So he is Stephen Hyden, a staff writer at Grantland. Listeners might know him from there or previously. He was at the AV Club, and he has a book coming out in the spring of 2016. We'll get him back on the podcast a few months down the road. It's going to be called, I believe, Your Favorite Band is Killing Me. But today we're going to talk about the best opening tracks, side one, track one, however you want to say it, of all time, or at least our favorites. I I prefer my favorites as opposed to the best because music can be so subjective. But Stephen, thanks for coming on, man. Thanks for having me. I'm 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 flattered to be on. Yeah, no, this is uh this is gonna be fun. And for listeners, the goal here is basically to introduce them to maybe some artists or some albums that they might not realize or even as good as they might think they are. They might not have even heard of them. Uh, your music knowledge goes way deeper and beyond mine. So hopefully we can between the two of us. Uh, get some good discussion out of this. You recently had a piece at Grantland. What was funny is I drummed up this podcast or the idea of it back in about May or June, and this was one of them. And uh, in basically a three-week span, I saw apparently NPR did a did a podcast on this like in five, six years ago, and they had retweeted an old link to it. And then uh, I also saw that you had written uh, an article at Grantland about the best side one track ones. Of course, the, the genesis of all of this is a, a memorable scene from none other than High Fidelity when uh, John Cusack's character rattles off his five 
favorites. And so I think for any music fan, this is kind of an obvious, you know, internal listing debate that they they often have. Oh, yeah. I mean, and when I wrote my story, obviously, um, I got tons of responses from people uh, telling me how big of an idiot I was because I didn't list a certain song. <laughs> and of course, they're absolutely right. I would never argue with someone calling me an idiot. Um, I mean, in my story, I tried to limit it somewhat to uh, to debut albums. Because if you're going to talk about like great side ones, track ones throughout history, you could, you know, be talking for days and days. I mean, there, there's a lot of them. Um, but even with just talking about debut records, there were some notable ones I didn't I didn't talk about. Um, so it really is an open ended topic that you can argue for argue about for a very long time. Yeah, you you do love to uh, to insert some rules often when you're making lists or diagnosing certain bands or records and. I like that because it kind of it kind of intentionally puts you in a corner where it makes it a little bit easier because all in all, I mean you made a you made a Spotify list and there's 64 songs that you had just simply mentioned as as quality uh opening tracks on a record. I agree with a lot of them. Um what was interesting was I intentionally made I basically tried to look at and draw off the top of my head some of my favorites without looking at yours first. Uh, and so I did that, and it was funny. Some of the ones that I was considering and I ultimately didn't put on there, you ended up mentioning. And some of the ones that you disregarded uh, just because you said, okay, we can't count these ones because of you know this rule, that rule. Like, for example, a lot of hip-hop records just can't qualify because so many of them have weird intros or, or whatnot. But do you want to basically run down the thesis of your piece and... and uh, you know, some of the favorite track ones that you've had? Yeah, I mean, the, the criteria that I had, and this was just sort of like general stuff, but I, I was talking about how, like, a, like I, I think of like a, a side one track one as being like the opening scene of a movie or like the, um, um, like the title sequence of a movie. It's like setting the tone for it. So, you know, it has to have a dramatic entrance. There has to be a sense of like rising action, you know, that you're kind of lifting people up out of their seats. Um, the lyrics have to s say something about the band or the record in some way. And, and, and that was kind of more specific about debut records, mm -hmm. you know, like where, where you're not just setting a tone for the record, but in a way you're setting a tone for like an entire career. Um, and then the song has to end in a way that's compelling enough that you want to listen to the rest of the record. Um, for, for my column too, when I was talking about debut records, um, you know, I excluded some songs based on like how, like, like if there was an EP before the debut record, I didn't count the song, even though some people like, like, like my favorite side one track one that I mentioned in my story was welcome to the jungle. Yeah. And, which uh, is kind Christmas of undeniable. Song, yeah. Which is undeniable. But some, but some people mentioned that there was that, uh, um, that, uh, like a suicide EP that came out in 86. Hmm. That was like a limited edition thing. And then it was re-released as GNR lies like after appetite for destruction. So that technically maybe shouldn't have counted by my own rules. I mean, this is how complicated this can be, Matt. <laughs> you can violate your own rules when you're talking about this. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, another thing I didn't write this in my story um, as a rule necessarily, but like one thing that I think I didn't do, this was maybe even unconscious is that I didn't include like the Beatles the Rolling Stones, Led Zeppelin, like the big classic rock people, and 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 I got I got nailed on Twitter for not talking about 
good times, bad times from the well, first. Well, Zeppelin is, listen, and I've got a Zeppelin one that I've listed, but Zeppelin is probably the best band ever at making the best or most definitive side one track one opening cuts. I, just almost every single record they have has an incredible first song on it. Absolutely. And, and it was weird because this was the first time in my life that I'd ever been accused of not liking Led Zeppelin enough. <laughs> I feel like I'm always accused of liking them too much. And this was the one context where people were angry at me for not liking them enough. But it wasn't a matter of that. I didn't want to include those bands just because, um, one, I wanted the list to be diverse. I wanted to touch on different artists and different genres and, and maybe pick some things that weren't quite so obvious. And also, when you're talking about those bands, like you said, like with Led Zeppelin, like they have so many great side one track ones. And I would argue, actually, that Good Times, Bad Times wouldn't even make my top five I would agree, of agree. Side, one tra- side one track ones from Led Zeppelin's catalog. Would because agree. like the next bunch of records, you have Whole Lot of Love, you have Immigrant Song, you have Black Dog, you have The Song Remains the Same, and Custard Pie. I think those are the next five. Those are all awesome songs, and I like them all probably more than Good Times, Bad Times. And my, you know what? My favorite Zeppelin side one track one is actually In the Evening. I think that's great too. That that one, uh, just I don't know. I think that one is. It's just it is a mood setter, and I know that album in general. uh, First of all, I'm weird in that that might be like my second favorite Zeppelin album, Uh, Into the Outdoor. I think it's gotten better with age in, in regard to some people, but I know a lot of people consider it like kind of weird kind of different band was you know near its end there uh i just i always call that uh led zeppelin's uh ween album because because there's so many different like styles of music on that record like they have a country western song on that record and there's like there's like funky songs there's like prog rock songs um i mean i think jimmy page was pretty junked out by that time so i think john paul jones was assuming more of a role in the music on that record so it's not quite as guitar heavy um as like the other zeppelin records you know and we haven't even mentioned achilles last stand that's like the one side one we haven't mentioned yet and that's an amazing song but you know if you talk about the beatles or the stones i mean they also have a number of great uh side one track ones like you know people were yelling at me for not mentioning um um like give me shelter like because i just mentioned like some good side one track ones in the column but it's like if you're going to talk about gimme shelter what about sympathy for the devil or brown sugar or paint it black i mean those are all side ones uh side one track ones of amazing albums um so so again for for the sake of my column i was trying to be um not quite as predictable um as you can get with these lists if you just talk about like the the big bands ever um so which is, which is you know it's a it's a reasonable approach to take if you're not you know because you could easily listen if you're going to say the best side one track ones ever and you wanted to make a buzzfeed list and it's nothing against buzzfeed but just generally speaking you could easily tick off 10 classics some of which i've just listed as among my favorites and and be done with it and and bada bang and few people will really give you much grief for it but you'd rather kind of like you know do a deep dive and and really just make yourself think about okay in in terms of especially that see that's the thing it's it's the introduction you really went with okay first record first song so this was the first sound from a band uh and that's you know that's pretty that's a pretty huge accomplishment to be able to just come out of the gate with something 
because a lot of first records from bands that are considered great, um, either they're, you know, as you said, EPs, they can be, you know, afterthought, really, you know, not even fledgling at that point, or they can be albums that just didn't have a strong statement to make. So when you're able to come out of the gate with something really strong, I think it makes it that much more impressive. Yeah, I mean, like I think about um, like Black Sabbath's first album, you know, when the first song on that album is Black Sabbath mm -hmm. and how like if you listen to that song, not only does it define like what Black Sabbath is going to sound like, it defines like what heavy metal is going to sound like, you know, and, and that's what makes it even that much more incredible when you hear that song, because there weren't a whole lot of bands that even sounded like that when that record came out. And like metal bands still sound like that, like 45 years later. Um, so, I, like you said, you know, and, and like Black Sabbath, I mean, they were these guys that, you know, were from Birmingham and they recorded that record in 12 hours. And, uh, you know, and Ozzy Osbourne was like this subliterate, you know, guy working as a janitor basically at that time. So, and they produced this like kind of inarguable work of genius you know, that's still influencing people all these years later. So, yeah, I, I, that's always a tremendous achievement, I think, if you can pull that off. I mean, it really is rare, I think. I, I would agree. Now, in terms of, for me, with like, you had your four criteria for side one, track one. For me, it basically boils down to, usually when I, when I get an album, there is a inherent level of curiosity, intrigue, but more than anything, excitement. And so for a, for an opening track to kind of stand out, it's it's a very basic and powerful pull for me, I guess. Like I have to feel an energy, a direction, a clear statement. It's just when I when I put the record in, the first song kind of exceeds even what I'm hoping to hear or completely changes what I might think I might be getting to the point where I'm already excited almost anyway when I start listening to a record and if that first song is particularly um, you know, powerful or, or makes a strong statement. That's what brings me in. So that's, it's, I don't know, it's very primal for me, I guess. And some of my favorites are, are based on that. I did make a short list. So the, these opening tracks here um, are the first song I ever heard from a band, or if they weren't the first, they were the second because I might have heard another song on the radio or whatever, and I was intrigued enough. Uh, to go and follow them. So these are the ones that I listened to, immediately got hooked, and have liked the band ever since. Um, and a lot of these are from the 90s and my teen years. Um, One Angry Dwarf and 200 Solemn Faces, Ben Folds 5, which yeah. just opens with a just dominating piano line. Um, and uh, includes the line, don't give me that bullshit, you know who I am, I'm your nightmare little man. Uh, right. Terrific. Um couple more from the 90s uh i wrote a 20-year retrospective on dave matthews bands under the table and dreaming uh the best of what's around starts off that album and it's got a rolling drum lick from really one of the best contemporary drummers in uh rock music over the past 20 years it's an extremely uh uplifting song from dmb uh and i know a few dmb fans who got into the band not because of what would you say or crash into me or whatever it would it was because of best of what's around which was never a radio hit but remains uh, a huge fan favorite to this day uh that was there even though they, they had released an ep and an independent album before um under the table and dreaming was their first major label album uh and that was a pretty 
powerful introduction to what they were. Um, and what you wish for from Guster is the 1999 record Lost and Gone Forever. Um, first song I ever heard from that band, and they're probably among my five favorites ever. Uh, just you know, it's it's kind of a it shows you their, the power in their harmonies almost immediately when the song starts. Uh, a few others were Run the Jewels as of recently. That one, when I heard Run the Jewels for the first time, I'm not huge on hip hop. I do have some, but I'm by no means a connoisseur. Uh, but that was one absolutely that just grabbed me, and I consider myself a massive Run the Jewels fan. Um, Time Bomb off of Old 97's Too Far to Care. Uh, I had heard that the Old 97's were good forever from just random friends. Finally got around to getting that album before anything else, and just a cool little guitar lick, and uh, just, it's it's basically very emblematic of the album that's to come, but also a nice introduction to the band. And the last one um, was actually, so I'd heard so much about Band of Horses, and I hadn't heard their first two records, and a buddy of mine lent me uh, Infinite Arms shortly after it came out. Um, it's actually, that CD is probably one of the last I ever put in a car. <laughs> it's been so long since I actually needed to listen to a CD in a car, but I was with my wife. Uh, and Factory is actually one of those songs I actually think could be uh, a good first song or a good first, a final song on an album. And it's just, it's a good introductory track to that album, to the band. So those were largely my first listens of a band that also happened to be track ones that I ended up really liking. Do you have any that you can think of off the top of your head that were good introductions? Like, like from like debut records, anything, man. Like, do you, do you, can you remember if you listened to a band for the first time, it could have been debut records. It could have been your first happened, you know, or one of your earliest listens of a band and it happened to be a track one and it kind of stuck with you. Oh man. I mean, there's so many examples of that. I mean, I remember, um, like, one of my favorite bands of all time is uh, Guided by Voices. And the first record I got by them was Alien Lanes. Um, and the first song in there is A Salty Salute, which is a song that they often would use to, like, start concerts with just because it's such a great kind of opening song. And it's sort of a consciously, like, open song, you know, Um I remember too, like when I got uh, like another example of that of sort of like a deliberate like introduction type song, is um, I love uh, the Cheap Trick live record live at Budokan, and <laughs> they would come out to Hello There, the song called Hello There, where they go Hello There, ladies and gentlemen, and it's like this two minute song, and I always thought like, that's a great idea. Like if I was in a band, I would want like an introductory song like that. So that so that immediately comes to mind. I mean. I think especially now, you know, like we think about albums being sort of degraded now because people don't necessarily listen to albums. Um, you know, they may chop up an album into a playlist, right, which then right. puts the onus on people to choose the side one track one, which is sort of an interesting wrinkle in this debate because now people, that process of like sequencing has been democratized. Um, I mean, it always was because people make mixtapes, but I think even more so now, just the ease of it. So many people do that now. But I think in some ways it's even more important to have a good uh, first song now because if, like, if you look at um, Spotify, you know, they'll show like the most streamed songs by artists. And a lot of times the most streamed song is like the first song on the record because people, you know, that's the first thing they see. So that's what they play. And like, if you don't like that song, 
you know, you may not circle back to an artist, you know, for a long time because there's so much stuff um, that people have to plow through, um, you know, to get the stuff. So like, I, I know, for instance, like when I get records in the mail or people email me stuff that like, if the first song or two isn't grabbing me, it may be, you know, unless it's like a big record, yeah. you know, it can be hard to sit through to the end. You know, if you've got like 10 records to listen to that day, you might just be like, well, this doesn't sound very promising. So I'm, I'm going to set this to the side. Um, I wanted to, this is sort of an interesting thing too. Like I was uh, interviewing uh, Jeff Tweedy uh, like last year and he had an interesting theory about album opening tracks because like, he was saying that like, like he feels that when people review Wilco records, a lot of like the narrative for those records is based on what the first song sounds like. And for instance, like when the whole love came out, I like, love that was, opening track. Yeah. The first song is art of almost, which right, is right. But it's so of, different from the rest of the record. So different. It, it's sort of like the album's like experimental track, you know, and I'm doing air quotes around experimental, mm -hmm. but you know, it, it's sort of like a consciously kind of weird sounding noisy song. And, um, when people talked about that record, they talked about it as being sort of like a more experimental record, you know, because like when people talk about Wilco now, they either will classify it as a as a dad rock record or an experimental record. So like Sky Blue Sky was a dad rock record, but like Star Wars, you know, their latest record is more maybe experimental. So like, but like the whole love, like Art of Almost comes out on, you know, at the start of the record and you know, people who write about the record, they, they base a lot of what they say about the record on that first track, when really the rest of the record is more sort of in that, I guess, dad rock vein, I guess. I mean, I hate the term dad rock. Do you? Now, three times in the past minute. But, you know, that's sort of the narrative on that band, what people use to describe them. Um, but I thought that was an interesting theory. I, I, I think there is some truth to that, that like, when when people write about a record um you know that first track you know it creates an impression that then ha that that then has to be disproved i think know? there is something to that uh particularly because like with that wilco track you know it is pretty drastically different from most wilco it's a long song it's a powerful song it has kind of theme changes within it and i remember when that record came out and that song, at least from what I remember, uh, was kind of passed around a bit in terms of being different uh, sonically for what the band was. But I would agree with that. I think you're also onto something when you say that track ones can mean more in a lot of ways these days, given how people approach and digest music with so many streaming services. I do wonder if it's overstated sometimes, if a lot of artists don't care about album sequencing the way they used to maybe and maybe not i don't ha i can't i don't i can't i think they do i think artists care yeah i think artists are what keep artists are what are what keeping albums alive i think more than any anyone else That's i probably think right i think artists make albums because they want to make albums and they really care about it and because like when you talk to artists a lot of them are kind of resigned to the fact that like they'll spend so much time sequencing a record and cr trying to create an experience even though they know that like listeners 
will just chop it up anyway and recontextualize it and, and, and make it their own. Like I don't like, like, I don't like when I interviewed flying Lotus, for instance, like his last record, uh, you're dead, which right. is, a, which is a really record. good record. It was probably one of the most surprising records I enjoyed of 2014. Yeah. And, and, and that's, um, a record that takes you on a journey. I mean, it's very consciously sort of, there's a beginning, middle and end to that album and there's rises and falls and all that stuff. And, uh, when I was interviewing him, you know, he was talking about how important that is to him to do that, to set that kind of tone, even if he knows in his heart that like people won't necessarily listen to the record that way, that they might not take an hour out of their lives to, you know, to absorb it, um, in the way that he might want them to, um, I don't know. I mean, I, I mean, I, I think that there's certainly a subset of listeners that want albums and care about that experience and will listen to records from beginning to end. Um, but it seems to be shrinking. I mean, that's, that, that seems to be where we're going with that. Um, uh, but I think as long as artists want to make albums, they're going to exist. Yeah. And which is a good thing. I'm still, see, I, I almost, and I've always been this way. I've I've always been a listen to the record guy. Like I rarely will do shuffle. Don't really have playlists, um, and I couldn't even tell you why. It's just the way that I've always preferred to intake music. Um, ever Me since too. I, was... I mean, I just think it's more fun. It's more enjoyable. Like I like the. Um, I mean, there's people that um, that just listen to like so many different artists during the course of a day. Like, and I'm always amazed by like how much music some people listen to um, because I'm, I'm, I'm kind of a slow listener. Like if there's a record that I'm interested in, I prefer to like spend like two or three days with it and mm-hmm. just listen to that record. Um, whereas I feel like some people like, it just seems like they listen to everything that comes out, like as soon as it's out and they have an opinion on it, like immediately <laughs> critic friends who are like that. And uh, I'm, I'm amazed by it. Like it, like I'm honestly like impressed. Like I, I don't know if I would want to be like that myself, but like I, but I, I, I get what you're getting at here to a certain degree. Um, I can't, I can't intake music that much that fast. Like, so what'll usually happen is, you know, cover college basketball. So basically from January through the middle of April, I might get to like three records total just because I won't have the time to sit and really uh, be with a record. I won't get a chance to buy it, whatever. So I'll play catch up in the spring and into the summer. Then the fall comes, I get kind of busy again. Then the year on lists come out in like December and then I'll really try and do some catch up, whether it's on streaming services, YouTube or whatever. And um, like sometimes it'll be an overload. Like sometimes I'll get to December and I'll be like, okay, there's like eight of these records that are considered pretty good. Another three that, personally i'm just invested in the bands and i'll try and listen to like 10 records in like 15 days and i just i don't get me wrong i listen to them and i enjoy them but it's not i you you gotta really let the die settle and really get under your skin and when you're just listening to album after album with release after release you're not allowing yourself the inherent benefit of time and reflection that is i think needed for record reviews i've always compared it 
and I don't know if I've ever written this or anything, but I've thought of it this way. I've considered reviewing a record the same way I would consider looking back on a draft class in the NBA or the NFL. You actually, like, to actually really grade out a draft class, you need at least three years, preferably five. And for a record, to really let it sink in, have at least some perspective, we'll never get there because we're in the internet age, but you, like, you need at least six months to just let the record live and breathe within you and around you to really get what it's saying, its impact on you and your life in general. Would you agree with that? Well, I mean, it depends on how invested you are in having like a right opinion, you know, because that's also true. the fact of the matter is, is that like people change, you know, and like to expect that, like, okay, if I wait this certain amount of time, I'm going to have a definitive opinion about something. I mean, that's never going to happen. You're always going to be changing a little bit you may change by the day, depending on what your mood is. Um, you know, like I've, I've reviewed records after listening to it for a day and all you can do is give your honest opinion of how you feel at that moment. And, and you try to be as thoughtful as you can, you know, I mean, music opinions are not worth very much, you know, it's not like any music opinion is so precious that like, I'm going to wait a year to, to hear what it is. I mean, there's so many opinions out there. And um, unfortunately, or fortunately, however you want to look at it, the way that things are set up now, like records come out and people weigh on it immediately. And uh, a week later, it's almost like the record doesn't exist. And, you know, I have mixed feelings about that. Uh, I mean, I guess my feelings are mostly negative about that. But it's the way it is. And if you're doing this professionally, you know, you have to uh, deal with that as, as best you can and, 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 you know, be as much of a professional as you can. I mean, like for me, just like as a, as a listener, like as a person who loves music, like I don't like the feeling of having like records that I feel like I have to listen to or that like I have to plow through. It's like, Oh, there's 10 records, oh, there's 10 records that people are talking about. Um, or so like I homework, have to, yeah. Yeah, I have to do this like homework to be on top of the cultural conversation or something. I mean, obviously, I I have to do that to some degree because of my job. But as I get older, um, you know, I feel less pressure to um, to just be on top of pop music all the time because I feel like there's like other worlds of music out there that people care about. That like, you know, sometimes it's better to find something like a diamond in the rough that people aren't talking about rather than to rush to have an opinion on like something that everyone is talking about, like where you're just going to be another voice in the crowd. You know, I kind of prefer to find things that like maybe only I'm talking about or only a couple other people are talking about and that, uh, you know, that I think are good that I think readers might care about. I think that's a good way for me anyway, to move forward. Um, and it's just how I am. I'm not a good. I'm not good at listening to ten records at once and having an opinion on each one. There are people who are really good at that, and I think that is a skill. Um, but I'm a person. I would rather become obsessed with something and burrow in and kind of try to find what's really interesting about it. Um, I think that's more my forte I think uh, as a good. writer and as a listener. I I think you're hitting on something uh, on point there, and I think that's it's better to really love and know and intimately get to feel and experience five records than say that you can you know speak haphazardly on twenty five. Uh, but 
but there are, yeah but again i think there are people um who can do that who you know who are just trained and maybe they're younger yeah you know like um you know i'm i'm gonna be 38 in um a couple weeks i might be 38 by the time this podcast is up <laughs> and um you know like a saying i have about music writers is that they age like quarterbacks you know like once you hit 36 37 every year after that is like a couple years and i mean you can still do it you know there's lots of music writers who are in their 50s who i think are great but um you know it, it's harder i mean you just get older and older and you, you don't have the zip on your throws maybe as much as far as like things that are um really bubbling up like like i can already feel like for myself that there's certain things that are maybe like on the fringes that i don't really care about at all and, and and that's not a reflection on those things. It's just a reflection on me and my own uh, kind of point of reference. So I'd rather find things that I really care about and talk about them and then uh, leave it to somebody else to write about those things that maybe I'm not interested in. And maybe they can explain to me, like, why this is great, you know. Um, sure. I think that's the way to go with that. All right. Uh, in terms of opening tracks, I got a few subcategories I wanted to hit on here. Um, opening tracks that are best representative of an album as a whole. Um, my five, I would say, Smells Like Teen Spirit off of Nevermind. I would say The Suburbs, Arcade Fire off the album The Suburbs. A um, couple recent ones. I like 80s kind of Ryan Adams stuff that his self-titled one so give me something good was the first track off of that record from 2014 uh, I think that was a pretty terrific introduction to that sound I know a lot of fans aren't huge on that I actually like it but I'm a sucker for a Princeton reverb sound Arctic Monkeys do I want to know off of AM from a couple of years back that was a really highly regarded record and a, a pretty noticeable I don't want to say mature sound, but it was definitely a different direction for Arctic Monkeys, and to me, that is by far their best record. And then I would say, I would say, where the streets have no name, off of Joshua Tree for U2. Those are five records to me that when you put them on and you listen to that song, you that first song, you're going to get a decent idea of of what the album will be. They're good mission statements, so to speak. Do you have any that you can um, that you can put forth on the podcast that you think are good track ones that give listeners a good idea of maybe the band, but more specifically the album that the band is kind of introducing you to? Um, you know, I was trying to think of some as you were, I, mean, I was listening to your choices. Those were all good choices. I was trying to think of some while you were talking and, you know, I'm just, and I was just trying to think of like records like where there's maybe like a dramatic shift in the sound and you know it right away. Like, um, like a, you, know, you mentioned you too. I would say like zoo station on Octune baby is an example of that, like where you hear that song and you know, okay, this is not, you know, they're not doing BB King duets anymore on this record. Um, you know, I think, I think that's true too of like a lot of like the Bowie records, uh, from the seventies, like where he was making big changes, like, um, actually one record that I've been playing a lot just sort of randomly is young Americans, uh, David, uh, David Bowie and, uh, which is a record, you know, that he made, um, mostly in Philadelphia, like in the mid seventies when like Philadelphia was like, you know, sort of the R and B capital of the moment, like all the Gamble and Huff productions were coming out of, uh, like, like the OJs and, and Harold Melvin and the blue notes and all those groups. And like Bowie made this like 
Philly soul record after making like all these glam rock records in the early seventies. And the first song on Young Americans is 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 the song Young Americans. You know, and that piano lick comes in, and there's that like kind of cheesy saxophone, which is awesome, <laughs> but it's like so different from every from from any other Bowie record. So like, if you're expecting like more Ziggy Stardust, as soon as that song comes on, you're like, like, can, can I swear on your podcast? Yeah, of course. You hear Young Americans, you're like, holy shit! You know, he sounds like the OJ's now. So like, those two songs kind of come to mind as like indicators of like not only like what the record's going to sound like, but as like signposts for the listener saying like, okay, this is totally different. I would also say too, like another example that just kind of came to mind now is serve the servants on in utero uh, Nirvana, which uh, I didn't mention this in my column, but like that would probably be one of my favorite side one track ones too, because you know, there's like that loud guitar screech, um, you know, and like, it hits that like weird kind of off tune note and the, and, and then the guitar riff is kind of wobbly. And then, you know, Cobain has that great opening line. Sure, sure. Teenage angst has paid off. Well, now I'm bored and old. That's a great tone setter, you know, for like, yeah, this is, you know, we, yeah, we made never mind. Now, you know, we're going to get weird and kind of irreverent and, and maybe kind of obnoxious maybe, you know, on this next record. So, th- so those three kind of come to mind for me. Okay. Now, I've got a few nominees here. So with your piece, again, a lot of it was debut albums for the most part. Let me know if you agree or disagree with just a few of these, because these actually would have made my list in terms of track ones that I really enjoy, and they happen to be from debut records, or at least I'm pretty sure in most cases. Um, I have always – I don't even think this is a, a considered a popular side one, track one, but I really like – Keep Yourself Alive off of Queen's debut record. I think that's a pretty good introduction to the band. Um, Sleeper Choice, uh, Monday Monday by the Mamas and the Papas, which isn't like a typical side one track one, but if you think about what that band is or what they were, their sound, um, I think it's a really gorgeous introduction uh, to what they were. If You Can Believe Your Eyes and Ears is the name of that album. Yeah. Um, what else? Oh, Losing a Whole Year by Third Eye Blind. I believe that was their first record. Um, and that record actually I will defend till my dying days as just a rant. Like, that would be a good category or a good article for random bands that maybe are not that good but have really one undeniably great record. I think that Third Eye Blind record uh, is terrific. But I did listen to it when I was 16 years old. So there is some, some sort of uh, devotion that can come to that when you're teen years. Um, there was one more in there that I thought was pretty strong. Oh, yeah. Oh, dude, this one I think is, should have been in your column. I think Do It Again off of, of oh. Celia Dan's Can't Buy a Thrill. That is the that is side one, track one. Uh, the beginning of that is uh, just, it's infectious. So those would be some of my nominees that did not make the column. Yeah, I'm definitely with you on Steely Dan. I, I feel bad about not getting Steely Dan in. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of songs that like I could have put in. Um, that people, you know, emailed me, and I mean, well, like, what, what were some aside from the obvious ones, like maybe four or five obvious ones? Uh, what were some of the most popular or angered responses that you did not include? Well, I mean, "Good Times, Bad Times" by Led Zeppelin was like clearly the one where uh, 
the, that's the one I got the most responses for. I would say like half of the tweets I got were, were people yelling at me for not putting in good times, bad times. And like the best tweets were from people who seemed to believe that I'd never heard of Led Zeppelin and like would say like, oh, you should try it. You should, you should check this band out. They're really good. This is, and this is a good song. Um, and, uh, and they're right. They are very right. Led Zeppelin is um I'm trying to think of other things that were that were popular i mean you know like holidays in the sun sex pistols mm-hmm. uh you know you know the first sex pistols record i think that would have been a great choice um another thing that i kind of wish i'd put on is uh strutter by kiss because i think that has all the criteria that i'd listed in the column you know and uh that's like maybe the best kiss song maybe like one of the only like really good kiss songs that there are um like what else um like jenny is a friend of mine i think came up like from the first killers record uh which is a you know that's a great record and i like that song a lot i think somebody told me is the second song on that record though Mm -hmm. and uh and it might be Mr. Brightside is after that. I feel like a lot of the hits are like front loaded on that album. Okay. Um, so it's almost like the songs that come after, like, like overshadow the first song a little bit. So maybe that's why I didn't include it. Um, but you know, like what, you know, like what, what a lot of people did is that they just listed the first song from like every great band ever. And, and this was something I wrote about in my column that like at some point, if you talk about side one track ones, you end up basically listing every great record ever made. Because, because basically, if it's going to be a great record, you shoot, it's almost always going to have a great track one. Usually, yeah, yeah, there aren't many like great, like capital G great records that have a side one that isn't very good. Like, I was trying to think of great records that, um, that have opening tracks that I don't love. And like, I, the only examples I could think of were... Um, we're Fleetwood Mac's Tusk, like the first song is is uh, over and over, which is a which is a fine song, and it had you know, but like the second song is the ledge, which is like this coked out Lindsey Buckingham song, and it really kind of captures what Tusk is about. Like that's what that record is. It's very coked up and it's experimental and it's great. And whenever I listen to Tusk, I usually skip over and over and I listened to The Ledge just because The Ledge is such a great song. And the other example I thought of was Blonde on Blonde. Just because I, and I know people love Rainy Day Women um, and I don't hate that song, but like typically if I put on Blonde on Blonde, I'll skip Rainy Day Women and I'll go to Pledging My Time. Because mm. I feel like I've heard Rainy Day Women. Yeah, that's one of those. Yeah, times. I don't need to hear Rainy Day Women again. <laughs> Although like when I put on Highway 61 Revisited, I will listen to Like a Rolling Stone because that song, like you know, I, that song doesn't get old for me. Rainy Day Women, I've probably heard that enough in my life, but like Pledging My Time is such an awesome song. So I just get it. It's like, I want to hear Pledging My Time. I don't want to hear Rainy Day Women, so I'll skip that. So those are like the two examples for me. I don't know if you have any examples. Uh, off of, all right, so some of my... All right, so I would say uh, Animals from Pink Floyd, Pigs on the Wing, whatever. Um Summer's Cauldron off of Skylarking by XTC. XTC. Oh, I like that song. You lo- see, it doesn't do much for me. It do- it just never has. Like I, I'm always a- I'm always. Would you start with Grass? I, I guess. I mean, I'm just never. 
I don't know. I, I love everything after the first two songs, basically, on that record. And XTC yeah. is really one of the most underrated bands of all time, in my opinion. Um, I love, love, love Purple by S- by Stone Temple Pilots, but I hate Meat Plow. Like, I hate it. Uh, and it's definitely more of a track nine than, like, a track one to me. And then I always rotate what my favorite Spoon record is, but if I had to pick, it would probably be Kill the Moonlight, and I'm not a big Small Stakes fan, and that's the song that starts oh, that record. Oh, man. I know, dude. Heart Don't Lie. Um, that's I love that. I think, And I think that's a great example of, like, because Spoon is another band, um, especially in the 2000s, like where they would make each record was different. And Kill the Moonlight is such a great kind of stripped down record. And I feel like Small Stakes sets the tone for that so well. Yeah. So I, I got to disagree with you. On yeah, that. that's which is which is fine. I, I just it's one of those things where I just, you know, just has never totally clicked with me. Is um, the by the second song? What's up? Is the way we Ooh. get... Uh, I want to say I'm gonna check right. I'm gonna check. I'm literally gonna wiki it right now. Um, I thought it was track three, but I'm checking right now. Um, no, it is track. T- it is track two. There we go. Which that's a terrific tune. Way we get by is. Oh, right. So maybe you're just jonesing to hear that song when you put on that record. So you're like, oh, forget small stakes. I want to hear. Yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. Nice. Some, yeah, and it goes into something. To look forward to. Stay, don't go, Jonathan. Fisk, Paper Tiger, great stuff. Um, That's my favorite Spoon album, I think. I think it's mine too, but I, I'm telling you, it it varies. Uh, but if I had to pick, I think Kill the Moonlight is my is my favorite uh, Spoon record. Um, all right, I'm just gonna run off here. Just uh, all right, just a few side one track ones before we wrap up here. That I've just like. First of all, Tom Sawyer off of Moving Pictures probably is in top five. Definitely top ten side one track ones ever, right? Because just considering the song, what it is, like, would you disagree with that? I mean, I'm not a massive Rush fan, but I do enjoy them. But Tom Sawyer's power and reputation is fairly undeniable. Yeah, I mean, I love Rush, um, and uh, yeah, I mean, that's a great song. I don't know if I would go top five. I mean, I, I, I'm I'm trying to think. Like, I feel like Fly by Night. And I think the first song on that record is Anthem, which is awesome. And that's cool because that was like Neil Peart's first record with uh, uh, with the band. So that would be up there with me just for Rush side ones. And then Spirit of the Radio, I think, is side one of Permanent Waves. Yeah. And uh, that was like the first Rush song I ever liked, like when I was 12 or something. But yeah, I mean, again, that's another kind of legendary band that has a lot of great side one track ones. Um, but yet, you know, I if someone wants to say Tom Sawyer is their best, I'm not going to argue with them. So you have Oasis' Oasis. Rock and Roll Star as is included in your top 10 best side one track ones, which is a good point. But I will tell you this. I have never had a more visceral, visceral reaction to an Oasis song ever than the first time I listened to Acquiesce off the Master Plan. I think it is an incredible... I would put it in my top 10 opening tracks on a record ever. Um... That's a B-Sides collection, though. So it, is, it is. It is. I know, but it's so good that I had to mention it. And that's true. It's not like an album proper, so to speak. Yeah. Um, but it should. Like, I don't know why that was never an A-Side. Like, it is such a good song. Well, I remember, like, you know, I, like when Be Here Now came out. And uh, Do You Know What I Mean was, like, the first single. And it's the first song on the album. And, um, I mean, Be Here Now is kind of a, 
it's kind of a crappy record. I love Be Here Now. I have a lot of memories of it. That was like a record that I just was so excited for it to come out. And, is, and I mean, I kind of love it for its weaknesses. But like, do you know what I mean? Is a, is a fantastic side one track one. It might be like one of the great like album openers of an album that's not very good. Because <laughs> like, it's yeah. so dramatic. There's like helicopters and like, uh, you know, it, it takes forever to get started. But then the drums come in and it sounds so huge. Um, you know, it's just great, and it just sets you up for like. You could you could clearly tell when they put that side one track one. They're like, like yeah, be here now is going to be the greatest album of all time, and <laughs> we're just going to blow you away. And and they did it with that first song, and then you know, kind of, you know, it's a little uh, patchy after that. But yeah, I would say uh, ACDC's Thunderstruck off the Razor's Edge would be similar to like amazing track one on an album that might not be that good, but Thunderstruck is kind of. So that's another album that's not that great that I have affection for because that was my first ACDC album. Like that came out in '90 when I was like 12 or 13, and uh, they had MTV hits off that record. That was kind of like that's like when ACDC was still kind of like a pop band. So like that song was a hit, and Money Talks was a hit, and I think Money Talks that might be the second song, or oh no, Fire Your Guns is the second song, and I think Money Talks is after that or something. Um, but yeah, that's another good example. If we were going to go with a modern example, I think uh, the biggest letdown I've had in the past three or four years after hearing a first song on a record, loving it, and then subsequently not enjoying most of the rest of the record is uh, The Weight of Love off of Turn Blue by the Black Keys. The Weight of Love is similar to what we talked about with Wilco and Art of Almost in that it's like long, a little spacey. It's got... Uh, it's got some Floyd and like Allman Brothers and there's another element there I keep forgetting. But it's really I really like that track one. I don't like the rest of the record. So that would be a, a modern example of that. A modern example, by the way, uh, actually two modern examples of track ones that I really like. One is this year, uh, Let It Happen, Tame Impala, Currents. Would you agree? Great track one. Absolutely, yeah. That's... I could have mentioned that in my story, and some people tweeted at me that I didn't. But yeah, that's that's uh, excellent. I mean, that's yeah, just that's just that. hopping from the start. Uh, a great, just uh, just a drumbeat that'll get you moving. And then, um, under the pressure of the war on drugs, that actually would have been another one in terms of. I'm almost positive that was the first song I ever heard by the war on drugs, uh, mm. and it just pulled me right in. Uh, similar, similar to "Let It Happen." Those are both well over seven minutes, so they're right. strong introductory statements, but they're but they're long. They're not in and out. They're with you. They kind of linger and hang there. Um, I would also, you know, I think Kurt Vile "Waking on a Pretty Days" mm. is in there too. Like as far as like a long song starting a record, that it's like a great first track. Um, you know, that, that's another one I think that you know that, you, that should definitely be mentioned. Best best side one track one from a singer we know to be intoxicated would be Planet Telex off the bends of Radiohead. Uh, <laughs> Tom York famously got wasted and sang that on the floor. Um, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. The, he, uh, which yeah, if you listen, so if you didn't know that, listen to it now and it, like you can't like definitively. Oh yeah, he's definitely. But no, that's the, the legend with that song is that I think they were out the entire night before. 
or that night and i think they go back to the studio to record it and it's like and i could be getting this part of the story wrong but i think they record it at like two three in the morning whatever he's drunk on the floor he takes does it one take and they keep it for the record which at the time it's radiohead's second record uh the benz is my favorite radiohead album and you know it's it's still kind of beloved there are still there's definitely still a faction of the fan base that wishes radiohead would go back to that kind of sound which i don't think they ever will it's drunk again i think they need to loosen up (laughs) yeah Yeah, my rebuttal to that would be like Neil Young's Tonight's the Night, where uh, you know, he would famously get drunk on tequila late at night and then record that record. So uh, he's, he's definitely blitzed on that song. Uh, so that's another, like, so, so if we're going to have a subcategory of side one, track one, where the artist is intoxicated, that would be my choice. Um, so just a couple quick things that popped up here, Stephen, before we wrap up, and I do appreciate your time. This is just a total deep dive that I love. A um, couple bands whose side one track ones I like more than maybe what would be the obvious pick. Like, for example, um, you'd probably think, like, the Beatles have a, a number of nominees. My favorite by far is Back in the USSR, even though Come Together is one of the most famous bass lines ever. Um, Hard Day's Night has that famous chord that it starts with. Uh, Drive My Car is another popular one, but Back in the USSR is the one that does it for me. Um, you probably would think uh, burning down the house off of speaking in tongues would be the most well-regarded talking heads one. But to me, thank you for sending me an angel is by far my favorite uh, side one track one from talking heads. Um, what else? Uh, I uh, The first song on remain in light would be mine. Yeah. Uh, would be like Born under punches, I think is like an incredible song. And that's another band where, they change from record to record and that song comes on and it just sounds formless and it's beautiful. And then like the video game sounds are in there and stuff. Um, so that would be mine, but those you, are good you, choices. Yeah. Uh, I would say that's, that's pretty much it in terms of, cause like, wouldn't it be nice is my favorite beach boys one. And that's kind of the obvious pick. Bob O'Reilly is my favorite from the who that's probably the popular pick. Um, Want to be starting something is a pretty classic side one track one. You had listed um, Michael Jackson. Uh, geez, why am I blanking here, Stephen? Um, uh, <laughs> I'm blanking on the name. You had listed him in your column, Jackson, off of his '79 record. Uh, Don't stop till you get enough, as yeah. as one of your uh, mentions. But to me, I mean, Thriller is a classic record, and Want to be starting something is again another long track to start a record um that actually kind of fulfills a lot of categories in terms of it introduces what the record's going to be about in a lot of ways uh very emblematic um it's not the strongest song on the record but but it's certainly one of the more memorable ones yeah it's definitely one of the the best songs i i I was actually you know it's funny you bring up thriller i was talking about this with someone on twitter because pitchfork just did like their like favorite songs of the 80s list and this person was upset that like thriller wasn't on the list the song thriller and uh and i was saying that there's like five songs on thriller that i think are better than the title track and want to be certain something would be it would be one of them for me um because you got like yeah like beat it billy jean pyt PYT and human nature um like human nature is great like that song's been sampled by so many people and like every song that samples 
like I like that too. Just that's such such a such a pretty song. Um, but a lot of hits on that record. A lot of a lot of a lot of it's a lot of competition. I think we can all agree that uh, the girl is mine is the worst song on Thriller. Though. Without a just, doubt. Oh my God. Uh, <laughs> Without a doubt, man. Distant, distant uh, last. Yeah. Um, a popular what I think might be a popular pick that people might like that actually doesn't do it too much for me is uh in terms of opening tracks is funeral for a friend slash love lies bleeding elton john i don't know if you're you know that's off goodbye yellow Book road uh, uh strong never, disagree with you on that yeah it's never that one's never done it for me but i know it would be a popular pick uh in the same way that more than a feeling would be a popular pick like i understand why like more than a feeling would be a pick but at this point it just doesn't do anything for me. Goodbye Yellow Brick Road was like one of like the, one of two albums that I listened to like all the time when I wrote my book. Um, really? Just because that's such a cinematic album and it's like really good to write to. It was like that album and the Kurt Vile record, uh, Waking on a Pretty Days, were like my, like my top two albums uh, to write my book to. So I got to give Elton John a shout out. If Elton John is listening, giving you a shout out, my friend. I got a few more here that I'm going to run by, and then I'm then I'm done. Trust me, I thought of like 30 of these, so I had to get them all out here. Uh, Pearl Jam, I would think of the of bands in the past 30 years, maybe even like they were past the torch from from Zeppelin, because a lot of their records, even their weaker records, in my opinion, have really strong strong sideway track ones. But Go is my favorite, and that's off of Versus, and it barely beats last exit but you actually like once but you you had mentioned once in your in your column because that's pearl jam's debut album um bring the ruckus yeah, I mean, you had mentioned i mean if i was gonna pick like best pearl jam first song i'd be really tempted to go with sometimes actually from whoa yeah, from no code because really I, yeah i love the quiet open going into hail hail i think that's a great hail hail should have been see i think hail hail should have i it it works but Hail Hail works so good as a track one. It that would be my pick if it was track one. I think so. in the context of their discography, though, it, I really like it because the first three albums have these barnstorming opens, and um, it was kind of cool to have this kind of quiet song open it and then go into like the slam bang song after that. Um, I thought that was really effective. So, um, but you know. All those songs you mentioned, I think, are, are all great. You know, like "Last Exit" sounds great, and "Go" and all those, all those songs. But I'm gonna be a little uh, subversive, maybe, and pick "Sometimes." For that, okay. You had mentioned uh, "Wordless Chorus" in your column from My Morning Jacket off of 2005's "Z," which is their most critically acclaimed record. Uh, just a really groovy opening track. It would that would be among my maybe 15 favorite ever side one track ones um love that even though z is not my favorite mmj record uh it still moves from 03 is my oh, yeah. favorite um it's between uh, those two for me yeah it still moves in z would be it'd be a, a cage match so so spider webs no doubt tragic kingdom is a great opening track to a record that i probably never listened to but i still like the song spider webs <laughs> i just think it's terrific um <laughs> If I'm going to sneak in kind of a sleeper pick, uh, Something Hot by the Afghan Wigs off of 1965. Gentleman is the record from Afghan Wigs that gets most of the love. I actually prefer 1965 as my favorite record, and I really like that as an opening track overall. Um, and then one more, 
uh, I do love these long opening tracks. And this one is a little repetitive, but I still love it. And it's uh, Blur's album 13 starts with a song called Tender, which is just terrific in my opinion. Uh, and that album is, is very different from earlier Blur outputs, but it's another one that I would put among my favorites. Very nice. I have to, you know, I have to plead the fifth on Blur because I'm an Oasis fan. But whoa, whoa, whoa! We can like both, man. You know, it is. It's totally allowed. <laughs> well, see, and this is another good. Uh, you know, I'm just plugging my book here shamelessly, but that is that's one thing I write about my book. My book is on music rivalries, and the first chapter is on Blur and Oasis because that was like the first rivalry um, I cared about, or like one of the first rivalries that I cared about. And I was a I was a I was a staunch Oasis fan, and I hated Blur for like twenty years because I felt like it was my duty <laughs> to hate Blur. And I'm over that now, but still, you know, old habits die hard. I think it's it's hard for me not to like just reflexively shit on Blur whenever they come up. <laughs> but you're right, you're right, you're right. You know, I have peace in my heart, man. I have peace in my heart. I wanna I, I want to be a peaceful man. So can I get your top five, like, even if even if you'll disagree with your top five side one track ones ever, it does not matter, debut or not, just your top five favorites, even if tomorrow you'll wake up and you'll be like, ah, you know what, I didn't even like three of those. In the moment right now, if I can give a top five from Stephen Hyden, what would they be? Well, a lot of them were on the list, I think, of debuts. Like, I would definitely say Welcome to the Jungle, um, and I would say Black Sabbath, Black Sabbath, and I would say Rock and Roll Star um, by Oasis. Um, after that, man, it gets really tough. Um, so I'm not, letting, say, I'm not I'll, letting you cop out. You're giving me two more. Okay. All right. I'll say a salty salute by guided by voices. And I will say one more. Um, I'll say serve the servants by Nirvana. How about that? I feel, I, if, if that's going on my tombstone, I, I feel fine with those five, uh, but you know, there's like there, but there's seriously like like 500 more that I could have said. I know, which makes it uh, which makes it so fun, and this was a really really fun fun podcast to do. Uh, so thank you so much for coming on, man. It's Stephen Hyden. You can follow him on Twitter at Stephen. That's with the V underscore Hyden H Y D E N. He really is one of the best music writers out there. I can't recommend him enough. Uh, does tremendous stuff just in terms of writing about music subjects that you can uh, identify with. Lists and records and writing profiles that you might not have been aware of. So it's a really good uh, mix of his work. So, Stephen, thank you so much for coming on and chatting. I really, really appreciate it. And we'll get you back on come 2016 so we can gab about that book more. Uh, it was a lot of fun, man. Thanks for having me on. All right, thank you. And to anyone listening, feel free to check out the other podcasts. We've got a litany of them here in this first massive batch, touching on a whole bunch of different topics. You can uh, reach out to me at Matt Norlander on Twitter. Until then, I'll talk to you soon. Bye.